Well, good morning. It is a uh, joy to be with you today. In case you're visiting with us, let me just quickly introduce myself. Uh, My name is Reed, and I'm the Minister of Education and Students uh, here at Northside. Uh, Pastor Scott, who normally preaches for us, is in India right now on a mission trip with some of our church members, both uh, David Bennett and Ed LaRock, and they'll be back in about a week. So let me just encourage you to continue to pray for them while they're away. Um, If you are friends with them, as I am on Facebook, I'm sure that you have enjoyed uh, seeing their Facebook updates and their pictures and uh, some of the other information that they've put up. Well, in case you're wondering, uh, my decision not to shave this morning was intentional. Uh, I've been told that I look like a 14-year-old kid when I shave. And uh, so in an attempt to fit in with the adults this morning, I decided to leave the scruff. So I hope that's going to be all right with everybody. Um, I guess looking young is better than the alternative, and that's looking as old as Pastor Larry. So... uh, did you guys hear about this? Uh, just this last week, he walked into an antique shop, and, uh, and they tried to keep him. So, <laughs> Sorry. It's been a while since somebody's poked fun at Larry from the stage, so I didn't want to miss my opportunity. <laughs> it's been a week, man. It's been a while. Well, before I begin, before I begin this morning, let me just tell you uh, how grateful I am for this opportunity. Uh, Not only is it an honor to stand before you and preach God's word, uh, but it's an honor to do so on such an important day in our faith. Um, As most of you know, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, This is the day that believers celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, not only is this mentioned in all four gospel accounts, uh, but it's also prophesied in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let me read this to you so you can hear it. Uh, This is from the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, Now, this prophecy was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And so when he came riding into Jerusalem, the people were excited because they knew what this meant. Their Savior had arrived. Their Messiah was here. And so walking ahead of him, some people threw their, their coats On the ground, while other people, uh, they cut down branches from trees and they laid them on the road. And as uh, and as he was walking, they uh, they began singing uh, part of Psalm one eighteen, which reads, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Uh, Let me uh, let me show you what this says in Matthew. This is Matthew twenty one. This is Matthew's account of this. You don't have to turn there uh, unless you want to. Um, I'm just going to read it for us right here. But this is the account of uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is uh, verses one through eleven of Matthew twenty one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion... See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on him for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread uh, spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, 
This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Church, my goal this morning is to speak the same truth. My prayer is that we will proclaim God's word to the point where people will ask, Who is this? And we'll be able to tell them, This is Jesus. So as we begin our time together this morning, um, and as we continue in our series on the church, uh, let me ask you to join me in prayer. Uh, Let's pray that God will be glorified in our time, and let's pray that the gospel uh, will be proclaimed boldly today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to to gather together as a church family to study your word. And uh, Father, we we thank you for giving us this opportunity. And, And Lord, we affirm today that your word is true. And we ask that you will speak to us today through your word. Lord, we pray that as a result of just regularly gathering together as we do, that we will continue to grow as disciples. And Father, we pray that you'll be glorified in our time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, let me get you to turn over to Ephesians. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing in our series on the church. And our main text this morning is going to be from Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, let me give you just some quick information about the book of Ephesians. Um, this will help us as we, un- uh, as we prepare to, to unpack this passage this morning. Um, Ephesians was a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it's believed that this is one of the letters that he wrote while he was, while he was in prison, which we're actually going to see from one of our verses this morning. And since this letter is believed to have been written by Paul... While he was in prison, this dates the letter around the early 60s, right before his death and only about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, that's important because it validates Paul's letter. Uh, Most of the people that Paul was writing to were alive while Jesus was alive. So if Paul would have written any incorrect information, they would have discarded his letter, they would have rebuked Paul, and they would have moved on. But that's not what happened. Instead, they affirmed what he said, they made copies of the letter, they passed it around to the other churches in the area, and they made sure that eventually it was added to the New Testament. Now, what's neat about Ephesians is that there are six chapters, and the first three are very theological, they're very heavy on doctrine. And, uh, and the last three are how they put that doctrine into practice. Uh, or maybe the easiest way to say it, the first three is very theological, the last three is very practical. Now, for our time this morning, uh, we're going to examine Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. If you have a different translation than me, that is okay. It's going to sound a little bit different, but it's still still the same passage. Uh, However, if if you would rather use the same translation as me, feel free to grab the Pew Bible that's in front of you. That's the NIV. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we want to encourage you just to take that home with you today. We want to make sure that everybody in our church has a Bible, so to consider that to just be our gift to you. Well, let me read for us Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Um, let's start at verse 1, and then we're going to break it down and talk about it. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. 
What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to go verse by verse through this passage and see if we can unpack these words from Paul. And I believe that as we do this, we are going to see that there is a theme of unity in this passage. And I think that we're going to see that this theme of unity is an important characteristic for the church. So what I want us to do is I want to start back at verse 1. I want us to read verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to spend some time talking about that. And then we're going to move on. So here's verse 1 again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Inside of your bulletin, you have an outline for today's message. Uh, The first point for your outline today, we have some fill-in-the-blanks for you. The first point Uh, for our message today, is being unified should be important to all believers because it is important to God. Being unified should be important to all believers because it is important to God. At the beginning of this chapter, we see that Paul is a prisoner. And as he's in prison, he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he is urging them to live a life that is worthy of the calling that they have received. Now, what I want you to notice about this is that they have received this calling. This is not a calling that they have earned on their own. It has not come through good works. Um, It has not come from any other way. They have received it, and they've received it from God. Now, we end up with two logical questions from this very first verse. Uh, First, what is this calling? And number two, why is it important that they live a life that's worthy of this calling? Well, let's start with the, uh, with the first question. What is this calling? Well, scholars believe that this is the same calling that is given to all believers, and that is to live a life like Christ, to live like Him, to walk like Him. So what Paul is saying here is that there needs to be a connection between what people say and what people do. It's not enough just to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. You have to live like it also. He's saying right here, live a life that is worthy of being called a follower of Christ. You claim Christ, well then live like it. And so what he does is he gives them a few examples of what this looks like. They are to be humble. They are to be gentle. They are to be patient with one another. They are to bear with one another in love. And they are to put forth every effort possible to stay unified in the spirit by being peaceful with one another. So as you can see, this idea of unity is already becoming clear in just these first few verses. 
Now, to answer our second question, why do they need to live a life that is worthy of this calling? Uh, there's two main reasons. Number one, because Scripture has commanded them to. And honestly, uh, that should be a good enough reason. Uh, but number two is because it's going to allow them to be unified. And in this passage, unity is what Paul is trying to emphasize. Now, in verses 4 through 6, I want us to look at all the times uh, that Paul says the word one. He says there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So from all of these examples, I think that it is clear to say that God is concerned with unity. And if that's the case, then believers should be as well. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, unity should be on your radar. Let's keep reading. This is uh, verses 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Second point in your outline is this. Being unified does not mean that we all have the same gifts. Being unified does not mean that we all have the same gifts. Look at uh, verses 7 through 8 again. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, in this verse right here, this grace that has been given that Paul is describing, this is an equipping Grace. This is not the same kind of grace that Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, For it is by grace you have been saved. That's a saving grace, and that's a different kind of way that he's using that word in Ephesians chapter 2. In this chapter right here, the way he's using the word grace is in an equipping way. It's a, it's a grace that is used to equip us for ministry. And as we see from this passage, uh, Christ hands it out however he sees fit. It says that he does it um, as Christ apportioned it. And look at how this equipping grace has been given out. It's according to verse 8, it is given to us through gifts. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 8 that the word gifts is plural, and that's because that there is more than one gift that is given by Christ. And guys, that's a good thing, because being unified does not mean that we all have the same gifts. There are multiple areas in the Bible where spiritual gifts are listed, and none of these are the same. For example, if you were to flip over to Romans chapter 12, you would see that some of the other spiritual, some of the other spiritual gifts uh, might include leadership, mercy, service, and teaching. So let me ask you here. If everybody in this room had the spiritual gift of teaching and no one had any of the other gifts, who would serve? Who would lead? Who would show mercy? If we all had the same gift, that would actually end up creating more problems in our church. Rather, by God's design, he's created a system in which we can have unity in diversity. Uh, which is actually, by the way, where we get the word university. It's unity in diversity. At a university, people are unified in the pursuit of education, but there's diversity in what they might be studying. Um, in the exact same way, we can have unity in diversity when it comes to the spiritual gifts that Christ has given out. Let's keep reading. This is uh, verse 11, verses 11 through 13. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Third point in your outline is this. Being unified does not mean that we all have the same role. Being unified does not mean that we all have the same role. Right here in this passage, Paul lists out for us a few of the gifts that Christ has given out. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. And by the way, let me just say real quick, uh, my goal this morning is not to debate which gifts have continued and which gifts have not. Uh, If you want to have that conversation with me later, I'll be more than glad to share with you my thoughts. Uh, But for the sake of our time this morning, uh, I just want to stick with our theme of unity. Um, Now, one of the things that I want you to notice is this. These gifts that Christ has given out, um, they are to be used. There's a job description tied to these gifts. For example, if you have the gift of preaching, your job is to preach. If you have the gift of teaching, your job is to teach. Going back to Romans chapter 12, if you have the gift of leadership, your job is to lead. If you have the gift of mercy, your job is to show mercy. These are not just gifts in and of themselves. They are intended to be used for God's glory. In fact, listen to how Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. This is uh, verses 4 through 8. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Let me just read it for us. This This is what it says. For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the other members. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So since Christ is the one who gets to, uh, who is the one who hands out these gifts, he's also the one who gets to set the rules for these gifts. And the way that, that God has designed this is when you get a gift, your job is to use it. There is nowhere in Scripture where you see someone who is commanded to selfishly hold on to their gift. Rather, they are to use their gift because it contributes to the unity and to the edification of the church. Now, but in this passage, though, Paul actually gives us the reason why Christ gave us some of these gifts. Check this out. These were uh, specific gifts. Check this. It says in verses 12 through 13 um, that there were certain gifts given to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, so these specific gifts were given to certain people so that they could then, in turn, train other people to do ministry. And again, unity is still the theme here. And the list that he gives us, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are different gifts that have different roles, and that's okay because being unified, again, does not mean that we have the same gifts, and it does not mean that we have the same roles. We can have different gifts and different roles and still be unified. Let me give a a quick sports analogy just to kind of drive this point home. Um, As you guys know, I'm a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. I don't think that's any secret anymore. Um, And 
just in case you're wondering, 2013 is going to be our year, right? So um, we missed the national championship game this last year by four yards. It's not going to happen again. So for all my friends in the room who are Clemson fans, uh, just be warned. We play you guys the first game of the season this year. It's Saturday, August 31st, 8 o'clock p.m., televised nationally on ABC if you want to go ahead and set your TiVo. Well, as you know, Aaron Murray is our quarterback. And in case you don't know who he is, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. The season has not even started yet, and they are already saying that he is a potential Heisman candidate. Now, let me ask you, what if every player for the Bulldogs woke up tomorrow and said, you know, I think I want to be the quarterback. I know that that's not how I'm gifted, And I know that that's not even really how I can effectively contribute to the team. But I don't care. Move over, Aaron Murray. It's my turn. If that happened, our team would fall apart. Guys, every role is important. A quarterback is nothing without an offensive line there to protect him, without wide receivers who can actually catch the ball, without running backs who can break tackles and get away from the defense, and so on. No one would be talking about Aaron Murray right now if it wasn't for the fact that he is surrounded by a highly capable team that works hard. They win together as a team, and they lose together as a team. Now check this out. The church is the exact same way. Christ has given us different gifts and different roles so that we can contribute in different ways, but we still need to be unified, and we still need to work together. Let's keep reading. Verses uh, 14 through 15. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Fourth point in your handout is this. Being unified helps us to mature as believers. Being unified helps us to mature as believers. All right, so here's what it says. Christ gives us gifts, and we're expected to use these gifts to build up the body. And when we do this, we see that the result is growth. We're talking about spiritual growth here. Look at what verse 14 says. Then we will no longer be infants. The word then is referring back to everything that we've looked at so far. When we are unified and when we use the gifts that Christ has given us, then we will no longer be infants. But instead, look at what verse 15 says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So instead of being infants, we grow into mature believers. All right, now I know that I've spent some time this morning talking about what unity is not. Let me kind of switch gears here on us real quick, and let me kind of answer this important question as we approach the end of this passage. So what then is unity? How are we to be unified? What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, look at verse 16 with me. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Fifth point. Being unified means that we have the same goal 
And that goal is that we grow to become a mature body of Christ. Being unified means that we have the same goal. And that our goal is that we grow to become a mature body of Christ. Right here, Paul uses the body as an analogy. And look at what it says. The only way that the whole body grows is if every part does its job. It says that we are joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Church, we are connected. We are a family. We are a team. We are in this thing together. And if we want to experience spiritual growth, then everybody has a part to play. So whatever gift Christ has given you, it is your job to use that gift. And when you use it, look at what happens. You build up the body, you contribute to church unity, and you help us all mature in the faith. And if we do that, Paul is saying that the result is spiritual growth. And here's the great news. You ready for this? Here's the great news. We are already a good church that is unified. We love each other. We care for each other. We are generous towards each other. We treat each other like family. So my challenge is just that we keep going. If I can stick with the football analogy for a moment, let's keep the ball moving down the field. May we be a church that values unity, uses the gifts that Christ has given us to help each other mature in the faith. Guys, we're at the time of our service now where we respond to God's word. And this morning you have heard what God's word says about unity. And maybe this morning you have some questions and you want to talk to somebody about that. Or maybe this morning you aren't even a believer. Maybe somebody invited you to come along, maybe a family member or a friend, and they asked you to come along with them, and so you're here. And there's no place that we would rather you be. We are glad that you're here. And we hope that this morning that we have an opportunity to explain the gospel message to you so that you can understand the forgiveness that is available to you in Christ Jesus. In the simplest explanation, here's the gospel. God created everything, including mankind. And within a very short period of time, man ended up disobeying God and sin entered the world. Now, the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is a just God. He is a God who is concerned with justice, and he will punish sin. He has to. If he didn't punish sin, he would no longer be God. But the God that we serve is also a God of love, and he has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. And here's how he did this. About 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to come to earth to live as a man, and he did this in perfect obedience to his heavenly father. And while he was here, he, he willingly accepted the punishment that me and you deserve. He died on a cross for the sins of the entire world. He rose from the grave, and Scripture explains that those who confess him as Lord and Savior will receive forgiveness of their sins, and they will receive eternal life. Let me give you a simple analogy to try to help you understand this a little more clearly. Let's just say that when you leave this place today, you realize that you need some milk and bread. So you hop in your car, you head to the nearest grocery store, you grab your shopping cart, you go get your items, you wait in line, it's your turn, you put them up on the conveyor belt, your items go down, they scan your items, they ring you up, they tell you how much you owe, and so you pull out your Discover card because it's got the best cash back. So you pull out your Discover card, you swipe your card, the receipt prints up, you sign your receipt, and you walk 
out the door. Now let me ask you, why did they let you leave the store? Why didn't the security guard just tackle you right then and hold you down until the police show up to arrest you? Did you pay for those items? No, you did not. Discover card paid for those items. And until you make things right with Discover, you're not in the clear. Now check this out. The items have been paid for in full, but by someone else. And you still owe a debt. In the exact same way, in the exact same way, the sins for the entire world have been paid for in full by Jesus Christ. But until you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you still owe a debt for your sins. Now, guys, I want to be clear. There are two ways that sins can be paid for. Two ways. First way is you can pay for your sins. A lot of people choose this way. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. You've earned it. So as a result of sinning, it's yours, death. Now, if we can stick with the the sin-debt analogy for just a second. The debt that you owe for sinning is so large that you never finish paying it off. That is why hell is for eternity. You don't just go to hell for a few months, burn off your sins, and then you're in the clear. It doesn't work like that. If you choose to pay for your sins, it is an eternal payment. Second option, though, is you can put your faith in Christ. And you can let his sacrifice satisfy the sin debt that you owe. And here's, what, uh, here's what's really great about this. is You can have full confidence that he has made the payment in full because he rose from the grave. Now check this out. Some of you might be like, I don't understand. Why, why does that matter? Well, let me, let me help you understand because we're right here at Easter. And this is when Christians celebrate the resurrection. Uh, we celebrate it every week. But specifically at this time of the year, we really put a spotlight on the resurrection. And let me explain why that's important. Because if the wages of sin is death, and if Christ would have remained dead, then that means that he's still paying the price for your sins. But since he rose from the grave, then that's all the proof that we need that the payment has been made in full and that he's defeated death. So, Scripture explains that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life. This is what Romans 10, 9-13 says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you were an unbeliever, maybe this morning is the morning that you put your faith in Christ and receive the forgiveness that is available, available to you through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just have some more questions and you want to come and talk to somebody. If that's you, we want to invite you to come down uh, during this time and speak with someone. Or maybe you're a believer and this morning God has spoken to you through his word and you just want to come down and pray. Either way, as the musicians begin to play and as Will leads us in song... Uh, Let's use this time to respond to God's word however he leads. We'll have pastors down front if you need to speak to someone. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Uh, Let's stand and sing.